What's up, everybody? You're listening to First Serve, a weekly tennis podcast produced by The Wreck. First Serve is hosted by Joseph Millard and Dan Scotty, who bring you 15 minutes of news from around the men's and women's tour every single week. Here's what we've got for this week. What's good, everybody? Thanks for listening to the first episode of First Serve for 2018. I'm Joe Malord. Dan Scotty's on the other line. How's it going, Joe? Yo, ready for another year. Uh, First big story, the obvious one. Serena Williams, four months after giving birth, is out of the Australian Open. She pulled out after a three-set loss to Yelena Ostapenko in Abu Dhabi. Um, how you feeling about her going out? How are you feeling about her chances going in? What you got on this one? Um, chances going in? I wouldn't have put it past her to not win the tournament. I'm talking about the Australian Open. Um, I watched some of that match with Ostapenko. Obviously, she showed the rust of having a child <laughs> and being off the tour. But at the same time, she she did show flashes, glimmers, if you will, of of the brilliant Serena we know from the past. So my, my expectations for her going in were high. Um, how I feel about her pulling out, I'm selfishly upset. But I think it's the best decision for Serena long term. I think she can compete in the next three Grand Slams in the calendar year. So better better not, you know, push yourself too hard from the jump and, you know, spite yourself in the long term. Yeah, one of the things that she said while explaining the fact that she pulled out is that she felt that she could compete. She wants to do more than compete, i.e. she wants to, to win and feel like she can have like the most clear-cut chance to win. Um, I guess her being at 36, she has the luxury of doing that now. On 23, one to go to 24. Um, here's a question for you. Do you think that she can win two out of the, the next three to go past 24? Um, yeah, I do. I think that two's a, a decent number. I don't think she'll be ready by the French. The French also kind of provides its own in, intangible, so to speak, with the court, the yes. surface. Um it's also the next um, chronological slam. I don't know if she'll be ready by May, late May, when the French is. Wimbledon, with the shorter points, um, and obviously being such a, a grand slam that she's been so dominant at in the past, I think she has a chance, a high chance, to compete for Wimbledon, the title. And then once it gets to the U.S. Open, I mean, if she's going to have a chance to win a slam this year, it's probably at home at the U.S. Open. It's almost, you know, nine months away. She should have time to get her body ready you know, worst case scenario for the U.S. Open. So I think two is a fair number. Um, I still think it's an ambitious number. But when you're dealing with a player like Serena Williams, like, you know, the the, the margins have to be ambitious. So we'll see. Uh, the point that you make about the French Open, the French is uh, the title that she's won least amongst the Grand Slams three. Um, two that came later in her career, 2013 and 2015. When she um, was beating everyone. Yeah. At that. Yeah. And uh, obviously – uh, she won last year. Uh, the big stat about what she did last year at the Aussie is uh, eight weeks pregnant, I think it was. So uh, there you go. But like I said, four months after her first child, uh, we'll see. Uh, so according to what you're saying, we basically won't see if it's the Serena that we're used to until we get to Wimbledon. Yeah, I mean, like I said, let's not rule out the French. I think mm-hmm. it's very, very ambitious, the French. But let's not rule that. But, but but to speak in terms of the Serena we're used to seeing, that's, I think, what she meant by she doesn't want to just compete. You know, what's, what is what is to compete at a Grand Slam? To make it to the quarterfinals? Yeah. To make it to the fourth round? Who knows? Serena, those aren't the standards for her. That's not how she competes. If she competes, she's competing to win. You know what I mean? So I, I think we can see Serena being a, you know, a, a, a bat, return back to the tour and being a constant member 
you know, in, in late in tournaments, but to, to win tournaments, set out to win tournaments, I'm not sure we'll see that until, you know, early summer, late spring, probably sometime shortly after the French. Yeah, um, you said that you were watching that match with Ostia. Did you notice anything from Ostapenko? I mean, it's really difficult to gauge the uh, the motivation of players at Abu Dhabi specifically because it's it's always has huge names on the men's side and the women's side for this exhibition. But at the same time, it's an exhibition, so you don't know you know who's giving a hundred percent, who's giving you know thirty percent on a point to point basis. Um, Asapenko looked comfortable. She she didn't look like she feared the moment pl- being that player you know, on the other side of the net of Serena on her return match, so to speak. So I think Ostapenko's, you know, I think she she's starting to feel like a Grand Slam winner. It's, you know, settled in. It's not too, not like a dream still that she's, you know, fresh off, you know, pinch me, I just want to slam. I think she's starting to feel more secure as a as a top-of-the-tour player. And um, I expect a big season from her, too. Uh, Andy Murray hasn't played competitively since losing the quarterfinal at Wimbledon against Sam Querrey. He was scheduled to play in Brisbane had to pull out of that. Won't be playing in Australian Open after that. Um, the he, might key, not be play, he might not be playing for a long time. Well, that's the thing. The key thing with him is that he has a hip injury that he's trying to recover from. There is a chance that he might have to have a surgery. And if he has that surgery, that's a career type of – that's a career-damaging type of surgery. We've seen what happened um, to Leighton Hewitt when he had that surgery yep. not too long ago. He would, never came back the same. If it happens to Murray, there's a concern that he might never come back the same. Yeah, I mean, anytime you're dealing with an injury or a, a nagging injury to the hip, it's usually not a good thing in sports. When it's degenerative arthritis, it, you know, it starts getting bleaker and bleaker. The thing with Murray is is that I just don't understand. I, I feel like it's a tennis issue. We spoke about this. I touched on it with you yesterday. I don't understand how these tennis players don't get surgery in the offseason, like a large number of them. If they're hurt in, you know, July or August, they just sit the season off and, ex- and expect, and I guess to a degree, pray that they're better by January. It's not, they, very little of them actually get surgery to try and fix the injuries they have. Murray, I'm not sure. I'm, not a, I'm no doctor, but I'm not sure if there's any type of surgery he could have had, um, you know, proactively to, to avoid this nagging injury, but he didn't get it. So clearly the issues that he felt, are, you know, shortly after Wimbledon or during Wimbledon, they're still there now. So it's not like he, he even gained anything from taking a lot of time off. He's in the same position he was last year just now. So things are not looking good for Murray. Um, well, you said that you aren't a doctor, but there was an uh, uh, article on ESPN that interviewed a doctor and trying to go through what can be the options of Murray going forward. Uh, basically, they said that the doctor did say that it, there's a chance that he might have to have arthroscopic hip surgery, but that if he was advising Murray, he would have essentially uh, prescribed the same thing that Murray went through, which is a physiotherapy program with some with some uh, with some steroid in, in injections. In other words, he would not have uh, prescribed right. surgery oh, wow. off the bat. But yeah. uh, at the same token, um, there was a, a good note that the writer made, which is uh, Andy Murray had a back surgery. I think it was 2013. And coming from back from that was kind of grueling for him. So uh, there might have been uh, a preference on the part of Andy himself to try to avoid that specific type of recovery um, surgery and then what it, ta- what it takes to come back from that yeah. as opposed to a gradual uh, therapy regimen. Maybe that's the case. I don't know. But if we, if we lose him, you know, it's a big loss, obviously. Yeah, the big, the big four is starting to come apart, man. 
Yeah, yeah, uh, most most definitely. Um, like we said, he pulled out of Brisbane, but also Nadal pulled out of Brisbane as well. Yeah, I think that I think Nadal is is see, I think Nadal is is being proactive about a potential thing. I think that he's feeling probably. I'm gonna you know try and be soothsayer here. I think he's probably at around eighty to ninety percent today. I think he wants to ensure that he's going to be a hundred percent or at least as close as possible to that by the Aussie. So. Nadal and even Stan and Novak both pulled out of I think Stan was supposed to be at Abu Dhabi I think Novak was supposed to be in Doha both of them pulled out of their you know pre-Aussie if you will uh, shenanigans to just ensure that they're both healthy for the Grand Slam I think Stan Novak and Rafa will all be ready for the Aussie who's to who's to know if Stan and Novak will be able to get through their early round matchups and you know keep moving forward but I think that they'll all be I think they'll all be in the draw um, so let's stay in Brisbane because that's where Nick Kyrgios won uh, his title uh, without Nadal, obviously, as we said, and without Murray, as we said. But he had to get uh, past Dimitrov, who you think he's showing more than now. Yeah, that was a huge, huge, huge result for me. Um, I mean, when we're trying to think about after Rafa, Roger, who's that next guy that can compete at slams or just kind of be that next player at this point in the top five, which is completely wide open. Um, and it was, it's been Dimitrov. For a while, I would say probably around uh, U.S. Open even. Once he beat Kyrgios, actually, in Cincinnati last year at that Masters tournament, I think Dimitrov like, kind of secured his place as the third best player. It was, and then for me, at least, watching that match, I, I always kind of felt like Kyrgios, Kyrgios had more talent, but Dimitrov was just the readier player. After this Brisbane match, Kyrgios, I think, kind of solidified himself as that number three guy. Currently, you know, on... January 7th or 8th, whatever it is today, I think Kyrgios is the third best player on tour. Um, he serves bigger than Dimitrov. He has more variety. He has more shots. If he can just stay focused and, and, and you know, play to a game plan, point in, point out, I think he has a chance to complete, compete for a Grand Slam. I, I hope I don't have to eat those words you know, when we're having our U.S. Open or post-U.S. Open talk you know, months from now. I, I, I still think he has a chance, though, this year. Yeah, so he hasn't gotten past uh, a quarterfinal at a Grand Slam. That's, you know... One of the things about him that's well known, uh, but see the issue with uh, us eating our words is it's always preceded by a temper tantrum or something. Just like him looking like he doesn't care about a certain tournament. He made certain comments last year talking about how he doesn't care about certain tournaments. Yeah, he's pretty <laughs> like he, he kept about. it. He kept it a hundred. Yeah, but, he has but, <laughs> but, but but this one, he wins this tournament, and then he's talking after after winning the title, saying, "Yeah, I love playing in front of you guys." And I'm saying, even though it doesn't seem like it sometimes, like it looks like he's. Just, yeah it looks like he's yo, trying to change it up yeah but yo for real honestly i liked seeing that and and it's kind of something that i feel is a slightly overlooked is the fact that Kyrgios won this in brisbane yeah it should have been a home tournament i watched every one of Kyrgios's matches in, in brisbane and he did not sound like he was really a hometown player right like a, a, an 18 year old alex demonor um australian kid had a great tournament beat Stevie Johnson, beat Delbonis, you know, beat, beat good players. And you could hear the crowd. Every single point was just like completely backing this kid. But with Kyrgios, it wasn't like that. And it's kind of strange to watch because this guy is, you know, kind of the golden goose of Australian tennis. So, I, and the reason being for that is he's had in the, in the past, he hasn't performed in front of Australian fans, not in these smaller tournaments and certainly not at the Aussie Open. So for him to come out pre-Aussie this year and win an Australian tune-up tournament, 
it kind of gives me the, you know, even more reason to believe that he's going to actually perform at the Aussie, which he should. It should be the easiest slam for him. It's his home slam. So he needs to, I think that there's a proving process where he has to prove to the fans that he's going to be committed, you know, on the court, off the court, in all aspects of the game. And then he's going to start seeing it in return from the fans. This is a, a large, you know, a large way in getting to there. Another uh, pro that picked up a title, uh, Simona Halep in China at the Shenzhen Open. Um, I mean, there's, there's a basic line that we have to get past here, which is the fact that she has to win a title this year. Yeah. She has to win a grand slam. She has to win a slam. 26 yeah. years old, had a very bad loss at the French Open last year against uh, Yelena Ostapenko. If I'm not mistaken, she was one set up and then 4-0 yeah. in the second. Yep, yeah. Yep, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, at this point, she has to get it done. It's all head games, and that that result, specifically that 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 lead in in a Grand Slam final, a set and four love, is pretty indicative of of where Halep kinda is altogether. I mean, the talent is there. She's number one in the rankings purely because of her full body, you know, her full season of results, and not any one or two huge Grand Slam results. So she's she's certainly the one of the more consistent players on tour. It's it's the demons that she faces in finals. And against bigger, you know, the top three players, top four or five players that is holding her back from being the undisputed best player on the women's, you know, in the women's game right now. Yeah. Um, another player picked up a, tor- uh, a tournament win. Gael Monfils in Qatar. Now, after his post-match comments, he was basically noting how in 2016 he had a strong season finish number six. I think it was last season. Nowhere near that. Um this is where we start thinking about players, you know, as the calendar turns and we start seeing strong, strong showings in, in the tournaments before the Grand Slams. We start thinking about, OK, who's going to have a better 2018 and 2017? Monfils feels like he's about to be one of those players. Who's another one of those players? Um, I think his compatriot, uh, Jalou Simone, who won in Pune this week, um, also had a really tough 2017 I mean, the way he looked this past week in India, beating RBA convincingly, um, beating Chilich convincingly, mm, nice. I think two and three in the, the the second and third sets, and then to come in the final and back up all those results and beat Kevin Anderson, this is exactly who, you know, Simone has been in his career, been a guy that can wear down these bigger hitters. And for the past year, almost two years, he just kind of, Looked like he was reduced, you know, looked like the was Space Jam when they just sucked the power away. Right. It just looked, looked like a shell of himself. So I'm really glad to see him back. He's a player that I think is going to have a big year. Who Monfils beat in the final? Andre Rublev, 20-year-old, Russian. Huge, huge shot maker. Huge shot maker. He really impressed me this week. He's like, I love players that are fearless. We talked about Ostapenko on the women's side last year. Just go for their shots. You know, they can make two, three hours in a row. They're still going to go for that red line forehand. That's Rublev. And he's, you know, he's getting to the point where he's consistently making his shots. Rublev's another guy that I think could be a top 10, top 15 player this year. For for Jalou, Simone, I think he can get, you know, an active goal for him would be to get back in the top 25, hang out the top 25. Monfils, maybe top 10 again like 2016 so this time next week we'll be talking about the australian open it begins on monday slash sunday slash whatever the way the time zone works is is, a few different days depending on which time zone (laughs) exactly um is there anything that you want to note ahead of time ahead of our preview next next weekend ah i i mean i think monfils is a player to keep an eye on just because why he was so good in 2016 if you look at his results he had a good he had an amazing year obviously 
But where he really started to ascend up the rankings was following Wimbledon once it came to America on the hard courts, outdoor hard. He's a player that has incredible movement. Nobody doubts that. But he also has a huge power game and he can overpower players. So if with with the Aussie being a week away and there being so many doubts on the tour, Mofis, who's never won a slam, never, I don't think he's gotten to, no, no final either. I think one or two semis. Um, Monfils could make a deep run and don't, you know, don't, don't sleep on him to make a deep run at the Aussie. Also Del Potro, my guy, mm. Del Potro. We haven't seen him this year. He obviously had a great end to the 2017 season beating Roger at the U S open. He's going to be playing one tune up before the Aussie that's this week in Auckland. So I'm really excited to see just kind of what form Delpo's in. Cause again, he's another player that can compete for a slam. Monfils, Delpo, others definitely going to be watching that and definitely going to be talking about that next weekend when we have another episode of the first serve. We're going to be basically trying to do 15 minutes literally every single week. That's the baseline for us this year. The baseline. We're playing from the baseline. Baseline is here. Exactly. So you're going to be hearing a lot from us. Thanks for listening this time. Listen again next week. That's a wrap. Later. Thanks again for listening to First Serve, a podcast produced by The Rec. To check out other podcasts produced by The Rec, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Running Rec.